0: in the last episode of legacy door
1: you have formulated your request
0: yes as you foretold a sudden event has created a situation in which your help is vital we are still compiling the details but the boom would begin within the next few days
1: dan opened his eyes back on jerry's couch He was already covered by the afghan that was usually draped over Jerry's easy chair to cover the cigarette burns and other bits of damage it had picked up over years of service. The afghan's unexpected presence caused Dan to linger in a delicious moment of feeling tended and cared for, a feeling he had missed since his split with Brenda. But the moment was brought short when the slightest hint of another moan reminded Dan that there was some mysterious human agency attached to this. He fished his earbuds out of his messenger bag, put them in his ears, and instructed his phone to play a list of songs he had labeled Mellow. He drifted off to sleep before the first song was over, and dreams returned.
0: Legacy Door. Episode 1.3. Needs.
1: Daniel Lutcher. 10.32 a.m. Dan was dreaming of Brenda on a low stage at a club, her short, tanned arms sprouting from her vividly blue, sleeveless, fleece-lined jeans jacket to hold the microphone with both hands, the cord trailing toward a thin, unused stand as her slight frame belted out her best song with uncanny force. Dan was enjoying being one of the cheering fans on the floor, but at Brenda's beckoning, he jumped up on stage to join her. "'looking down at her bright eyes and hearing himself say,
2: "'I didn't think you liked me.'
1: "'And then she was his cousin Vanessa, "'back at the funeral, as tall as him, "'and the blue deepened to the color of her sailor dress, "'and he was younger, in a suit, "'and the microphone stand was a rail-thin man "'in a trench coat and brimmed hat "'looming over them with impossibly ancient eyes.' In those eyes, Dan saw the reflection of yellowish-green cones topped with vaguely shaped and moving tendrils. Dan awoke with a start, covered in sweat, and clawed past the Afghan to grab his phone from the table. But it wasn't ringing. Figures, thought Dan, calming down. The one dream where the ringtone would have fit in seamlessly and he'd woken up without it. The feeling of the Afghan reminded him of his earlier waking, and he regretted having gone back to sleep without taking the opportunity to put on a shirt in case he outslept Jerry and Jerry's guest. The social rules for the behavior of young people of differing gender were in flux at that time, but there was a general consensus that they should make an effort to clothe themselves before beginning an interaction. Resolving to remedy his negligence in this area, Dan untangled from the couch, stepped quickly to the closet in his boxer briefs, and pulled a to-be-cleaned t-shirt out of the laundry basket. He had it half over his head when he heard a woman's voice say, Hey, starvation's looking pretty good on you. He immediately knew he'd been right. It was unquestionably Brenda's friend Joyce... He finished putting the shirt on, smiled a brief greeting, then decided that since he wouldn't be going back to sleep, he would reach back into the basket and grab his jeans. She was in his peripheral vision as he bent over, watching him analytically while leaning against the entrance to the kitchen. Her long, tangled hair was pulled back in a ponytail. He'd seen it with different colors over the years, but it was now the dark-rooted blonde that he thought of as her default, if not natural, look. Her mouth opened wide to take a shockingly big bite out of a large red apple she held in her hand. As Dan pulled on the jeans, he nodded his thanks in the direction of the afghan. She chewed and smiled affectionately. Joyce being awake early fit Dan's memory of her, but her morning outfit did not. A black concert shirt of Jerry's with her shapely legs bare. There was something cliché about this which he would have expected her to avoid. He adjusted those expectations accordingly. He took his eyes off her to zip up the jeans, and the next thing he knew, she was right beside him. Nice to see you, stranger, she said, hugging him with her free arm. He felt the warmth of her braless bosom against his back, right through their intervening shirts. This was something males were encouraged to ignore, lest they make females undesirably self-conscious about physically expressing affection, but the sensation sent Dan's mind back to the funeral. Her figure wasn't at all like Vanessa's had been, but apparently his subconscious wasn't very discriminating. Dan wished it would change the channel. He considered it bad enough to be haunted by the dying embers of his recently extinguished romance without the cold ashes of an adolescent one joining in. Hi. He said, turning and returning the hug now that his hands were free.
2: Great to see you. Are you just visiting or here to stay?
1: Here to consider, she replied, letting the hug terminate on its own time before walking to the
3: Afghan-less armchair. She settled down to work on her apple, crossing her legs as she did so. I'll be couch surfing for a bit, or maybe bed-hopping, depending on how things work with Jerry. Dan smiled at her frankness, and decided there was no profit in
1: speculating on the subject, given the extremely varied outcomes of Jerry's relationships. Instead, he settled down on the disarranged couch facing her.
2: Well... It'll be good to see you around.
3: Joyce gave him a measuring look before speaking. That's nice of you to say. But wouldn't that require you actually being around? (laughs) From what I hear, sounds like you've been a hermit.
2: Oh, yeah,
1: said Dan, playing for time to sort out the defensive feelings the comment evoked, and involuntarily looking down at his bare feet. He wondered exactly what her game was, and scenarios flooded his mind. She could be checking on him at Brenda's request. Or on her own hook, but still on Brenda's behalf. Or perhaps she really cared what happened to him for himself. Maybe she saw him as a prospect of her own. If so, it seemed to Dan like she was going about it in an unusual way, but he knew Joyce never restricted herself to usual ways.
2: Well, you know, Brenda got custody of the friends, so I steered out of her way. For a while, anyway.
1: Joyce had made a disapproving face, which had him instantly backpedaling. He was trying to play off sincere feelings as a joke, and she'd seen right through it. His brain played a sequence of events back for him. Brenda sent him a message asking if he was planning to go to the birthday celebration of a mutual friend. She had subtly created the understanding that she would not go if Dan went. He immediately responded that he would be staying away and that he wouldn't be going out at all for a while, so she need have no fear of running into him, but should let him know if the point came when she wouldn't mind him being around. What he was trying to accomplish with this reply was debatable, even to him as he wrote it. Brenda had taken alarm and replied that he shouldn't worry about it and should go wherever he wanted to go. There was a palpable sense that she didn't want the burden of connection with him, the knowledge that what she did had any effect on him at all. And so Dan's mind returned to the enigma of Joyce— whom he had seen frequently during the first 16 months of his closeness with Brenda, but who'd been out of state during the tempestuous last two, and also the additional month apart since their breakup. Dan tried to smile as he added,
2: It's not Brenda's fault at all. I just got a tiny vibe off her and decided I should concentrate on my work for a bit. Best for both of us.
1: The smile was plastered, unmoving on his lips as he tried not to notice Joyce's sharp eyes taking in every nuance.
3: You know she doesn't want you to drop everyone.
2: Yeah, she told me that.
3: And it seems, to me at least, like you're being a martyr. To get attention. Dan inhaled involuntarily and finally looked her in the eyes,
1: becoming aware that his heart had been racing for some amount of time, his body working through the emotions his mind could no longer ignore. He wanted to lash out, to say something sharp that would make her back off, but his brain seized up paralyzed by the thought this was all that Joyce, and by extension Brenda, thought of him, a petulant little boy trying to regain with tears and whining what he couldn't keep with smiles and caresses. And then he thought of his fourteen-year-old self at the funeral, wanting so much to cry and so much not to, confronted by the girl, the one terrifying person who understood, and now something pricked the corners of his adult eyes, Joyce looked back at him, and he wanted her to leave him alone, or hold him, or slap him, or kiss him, to do anything that would take that discerning gaze off of his soul long enough for him to compose himself into what he wanted the world to see. But she just continued looking, and he, surrendering, croaked out.
2: I just... have no idea what I should be doing.
1: Joyce put the core of what had once been an apple onto the coffee table, rose from the chair knelt on the floor in front of where Dan sat on the couch and put her hands on his denim-covered knees. He watched, tense and still, his paralysis
3: now absolute. It's a fucked-up situation. Just try to get past it. Live your life however you can, and something will happen to take you on to the next thing. Dan could feel his whole body rebelling against this advice with the beginnings
1: of a shudder. A lifetime of nightmares had taught him that things do not work themselves out, that life did not find a way, and yet here was someone who seemed strong and kind, and who, from all appearances, was trying to help him. This struggle was still unresolved when the sound of Jerry walking from his bedroom to the bathroom short-circuited it. As Dan listened to the muted sound of a prolonged urination, his emotions settled into a chuckle, and his body almost relaxed. Joyce, unamused but serene, carefully rose to her feet and added, I should get dressed. She went out just as Jerry came in, his long legs and neck poking out of an old bronze satin robe. Dan covertly wiped his cheeks. Hey, was Jerry's first word of the day. As he settled into the denuded armchair, his eyes noting the displaced Afghan. Good morning, replied Dan. You're back early. Jerry gave a weary grin and a shrug.
2: Yeah,
0: well, ran into Joyce, and we didn't feel like crashing with people another night. She had her own ride, and a hotel seemed silly two hours from home, so here we are. Although Joyce said...
3: One hour with me driving, completed Joyce, returning in
1: jeans plus a smaller t-shirt and mostly hidden black brassiere. We made a bet. Jerry smiled up at her.
0: And you won.
1: Joyce put her hands on Jerry's arm and leaned over. He tilted his head up, and their mouths joined in a substantial kiss, enough to signal the vibrance of their association with each other without seeming immodest. Dan, amusement and goodwill winning out over embarrassment and envy, let out an ostentatious breath and said,
2: I won't ask about the stakes."
1: Jerry smiled and said, Best you don't. As Joyce straightened. Joyce tugged Jerry by the arm of his robe.
3: Well, at the risk of revealing our secrets, I believe the terms included coffee and breakfast. So, get going while I catch up with Dan. Jerry's smile didn't waver as he rose obediently.
0: Uh, yes, um.
1: Dan saw Joyce splay her fingers as if to give Jerry a hurrying smack on the behind, then freeze her hand in midair and look at Dan self-consciously. Even as Dan pondered the self-restraint, he noticed that her hand was a little discolored and cracked, Doubtless, a side effect of hundreds, thousands maybe, of hours spent welding and sculpting her art. It contrasted strongly with the smooth, even tanness of the rest of her skin. Dan didn't remember it standing out quite so much, but did recall being startled by the panoply of hand lotions on display in the bathroom she and Brenda shared as roommates. He theorized that the lotions were packed away in one of the bags by the door. Joyce, playing off her hand motion as a stretch, lowered herself onto one arm of the chair, then playfully slithered her way onto the seat. Dan smiled and decided it was time to launch a new subject.
2: You still driving the old van?
3: Joyce shook her head. Nah, it's up on blocks at my dad's place. I've got a classic that I'm delivering tomorrow night. Something dad restored and eBayed.
1: None of this was very enlightening for Dan, but he let it pass, knowing from past experience that any question he asked would receive the same answer. We're from Michigan. Jerry called from the kitchen. Dan, you staying for breakfast? Dan's hyperactive social analysis kicked in, interpreting the use of staying for rather than having as a deliberate choice with an implication of overstaying.
2: Nah, thanks. I'm going to be...
1: And just as Dan was wondering how to encapsulate his vague plans for the day, Brenda's song played. Dan's phone computer was ringing. Dan forced a smile, picked up the device, grabbed his keys, and stalked straight out of the apartment barefoot, barely remembering to take the chain off the door before opening it. He wasn't sure whether he'd actually seen alarmed disappointment on Joyce's face, or just imagined it. But in the end, it made no difference. There was no way she'd regard that ringtone as a positive sign. Dan closed the door behind him and crouched in the doorway. Caller ID was as expected. Hi, honey. How was the bar?
2: Nice place. Nice people. And I doubt that I or anyone I know will ever set foot in there again. Too expensive? Yeah, pretty much. But I'm not their target audience. The review will probably be good.
1: Oh. You haven't written it yet? He sighed, thinking, written it when, exactly?
2: Yeah, that's my first project for today.
1: And it occurred to him that this would make a good exit excuse for Jerry and Joyce. What are your plans for tomorrow? Um,
2: nothing special. Nothing that would make me late for dinner.
1: He expected to finish the latest book and write it up, which would hopefully leave time to hang out with Joyce while she was still around, if he could do so without intruding. Well, that's good. Because I got a call from your Uncle Arthur just as I was about to mail his card, and he'd like to see you. The words hit Dan like cold water. He shook off his abstract thoughts, realizing he needed to pay more attention when dealing with his mother. He had neglected his usual hedging, and that would make it harder to avoid committing to this.
2: Oh, really?
1: Yes, really. He says he has an important opportunity for you, and asks you to come up to the house and talk about it in person. The cold water feeling retreated much faster than Dan expected. He realized that parts of him had been preparing for this day for some time, alternately dreading it and hoping for it. Uncle Arthur had helped them on occasion since Dan's father died, but always through Dan's mother. Dan had barely seen him since the funeral eleven years earlier and hadn't talked to him since dropping out of the law school Arthur had been paying for. "'You have to go, Dan. Even if you don't take the job, you should pay your respects.' They're most of the family you have, and he's done a lot for us. Yeah, but... More than you know, she replied, and he found himself grateful to be interrupted, disliking the immature sound of his own voice. Hers, meanwhile, carried years of struggling single parenthood, as she added, I keep a lot of it to myself.
2: Really? Why?
1: Because I know it upsets you to hear about him.
2: Look... I'm sorry, but...
1: He began, but he let the objection trail off. It was true that he didn't want to see his rich relations until he could answer every how-are-you-doing-with-a-smile and evidence that he was doing great and didn't need any help. But he knew that slapping away help would mean more strain on his mother and on the few friends he ever saw. It was childish, he decided. It was letting the nightmares win. It needed to stop.
2: I should go. Uh, I'll go.
3: Good. He wants you at the party by 11 in the morning. Party? It's his birthday, remember?
1: Dan shook his head at himself, and childhood memories clicked in. Uncle Arthur's birthday. After school starts, but before Halloween. Pony rides. Sometimes warm out, sometimes cold.
2: Oh, right.
1: I've ironed your nice suit, and I've put in an order for a few of those spinach pies he likes so you won't be empty-handed.
2: Wow. You've thought this through.
1: You should try it sometime. Dan winced. The door of the other apartment on that landing opened up, and the young Malaysian woman who lived there with her husband came out, dressed in the bright uniform she wore when working at the convention center. He explained his position on the floor by pointing to his phone and saying,
2: You're right, Mom.
1: The neighbor smiled sympathetically. They're very different life situations, having a nexus when it came to concerned mothers. Dan returned the smile, and they shared a small wave as she headed down the stairs. Dan heard his mom take a long breath and start again. I've called my friend Alicia, and she can let you have a car at the corporate rate. She's such a... His mother trailed off, very uncharacteristically. This is where Dan would have expected her to point out Alicia's merits, or unaccountable singleness, or the like. All part of her concern about his solitude, and perhaps its implications for the future of her family but instead she switched to a different tack. There's one more thing, honey. Arthur said you could bring a guest. I wasn't sure what to say, so I didn't say anything, but I wouldn't take Jerry.
2: Oh, no. I didn't even consider it.
1: That boy burns his bridges before he crosses them. Dan smiled at that and could imagine Jerry doing so as well. The image would appeal to him.
2: Okay. I'll be home around nine in the morning.
1: Maybe you should come home tonight. Dan took a deep, considering breath and accepted her logic.
2: Yeah, that's probably a good idea.
1: Escaping his parents' apartment, so cramped full of memories, was important for his self-image and peace of mind. But it was definitely a good time to let Jerry have his space.
2: Yeah, you're right. Will do.
1: Love you, honey, she said, with feeling as always. Love you too, Mom, said Dan meaning it a little more than he sometimes did. Goodbye. Dan unlocked the door, re-entered the apartment, and dropped his keys back on the table. No one else was in the living room. Cooking sounds echoed from the kitchen. He grabbed a change of clothes out of the closet, preparing for a shower. Joyce came in from the kitchen, smiling neutrally. Jerry still wants to know if you're eating.
2: No, I've got to get a bar review written.
1: Not even coffee? Dan appreciated her attempt to make him feel welcome.
2: Um, I'll take coffee, sure.
1: She turned and shouted, Coffee only for Dan! With the sudden volume and tone of the diner waitress she'd once been, Dan chuckled and began to pull the bedding up from the couch.
2: I'll be out all day, and busy until tomorrow night.
1: He looked up and saw her weighing this. From her point of view, it probably seemed like yet another passive-aggressive retreat, so he added,
2: I've got a big thing in the morning.
1: She perked up. Ah,
3: what's your thing?
2: Oh, it's my uncle's birthday party, and he has some kind of business proposition for me. Oh, is this the rich one or the crazy one?
3: Asked
1: Jerry as he entered, carrying a hot mug of coffee in his right hand, and two in his tightly clenched left fist.
2: The rich one. Uncle Arthur.
1: Answered Dan as Jerry transferred the right-hand mug to Joyce. The two young men then carefully negotiated the separation of the left-hand mugs. Jerry sat on the newly cleared half of the couch. Oh, yeah? I thought you never saw them anymore. Dan needed time to come up with an answer, so he took a careful sip of the coffee, which was quite good. It was one of Jerry's religions.
2: Yeah, well, I guess it's time I did.
3: Why'd you stop?
2: Uh, crazy stuff.
3: But he's not the crazy uncle. She pursued.
2: Uncle Frank is a special kind of crazy. Uncle Arthur is just the crazy all rich people are.
3: Joyce nodded, satisfied. That fits. They're all bent. Some billionaire on the Gold Coast just shot his daughter yesterday. Guess she brought the wrong guy home. Dan nodded. Gunshots
1: echoed in the back of his mind, and he saw the girl on her back, hand in the air, but he shook off the nightmare image as he'd been doing all his life.
2: So, yeah, I'm going to this party in the morning. Have to dress up, pick up a rental car, get to Lake Forest by 11. Want to look nice for tea in the sculpture garden.
1: Joyce blinked a couple times, processing. Sculpture garden.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Said Dan, sipping. Lake Forest. Uh Uh-huh. Uncle Arthur wouldn't be Arthur Dorn, would he?
2: Um, yeah. That's him. Do you know him?
3: Never met him, but he buys a lot of work. A few friends of mine made rent because he picked up something they'd been trying to sell forever.
2: Oh, I guess that makes sense. He and my parents definitely hung around with the art crowd, but I was too young to be interested.
1: Joyce's look hardened, considering something. So how long has it been exactly? Dan made a show of calculating.
2: Eleven years? I think I was fourteen.
1: But the uncertainty was feigned. Wow. So you never got to show Brenda off? Dan's eyes dropped. Joyce's precision continued to be discomforting.
2: Yeah, no. And... They invited me to bring a guest, too. Bad timing for putting up a front of success, I guess.
1: As Dan was regretting the naked truth of that statement, Joyce sipped coffee, then
3: put her mug down and spoke with relaxed command. Okay, here's what's going to happen. You are going home and telling your mom to cancel that rental. Work, 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 then have a good night's sleep. Wake up early and get fancy. I'll pick you up at ten, and we'll take a drive up to Lake Forest. What? Joyce knitted her brow and visibly replayed
1: their conversation in her mind, trying to see what he could possibly not be getting, then smiled. Oh, don't worry. I clean up good. Joyce's conjecture did not intersect with Dan's confusion. He opened his mouth but couldn't find the right words. He looked over to Jerry for help. Jerry shrugged. Seems to work all around to
0: me. Joyce gets to meet a potential patron, you save 40 bucks on a rental, and get to show up in a sweet
1: ride with
0: some almost equally sweet arm candy.
1: Yep, said Joyce, objecting neither to the characterization nor the comparison. Jerry summed up,
2: Tale as old as time.
1: Dan put up his hands in surrender and replied,
2: Song as old as rhyme.
3: Aces, answered Joyce. Now you shower, get out of here, and write your story. I'll fold the sheets. US. 1102 AM. We, meanwhile,
1: took a moment from our labors to stand out on a high balcony and look over the human city. Dark lenses protected our body's eyes, and its dark, straight hair was hidden under a hood. Neither precaution was necessitated by the radiation from the nearby star in the sky, which looked a little sickly to us. I frowned at the thought, for this meant more work to be done." The headwear, however, did serve as a precaution against identification, one perhaps equally unnecessary, but closely followed nonetheless. The legatee's adherence to ritual should be encouraged. The city below our balcony was, of course, pathetic, but its most ambitious attempts to scrape the sky put us in mind of our own cities, as a weed might call to mind a great forest. It was important to keep in mind that what made us great was not our difference from lesser races, however dramatic those differences were, but our compatibility with them. The transparent door behind us slid open, and the legatee emerged, the same tall, gaunt, behatted one we had woken to. You have completed the formulation of your request. Yes. There was resentment in his weary eyes, the kind that blames those with foreknowledge of troubles for the troubles themselves but he was doing his human best to control it. We took a moment to consider his current level of usefulness. He was active, but not exactly a healthy specimen, and no longer young. When must we be available? we asked graciously.
0: It would begin two days from now, if you are willing. Tomorrow I will make final arrangements with the recipient of your great gift. Arrangements for the procedure, and for the future.
1: And also for your nephew? we asked, even though we already knew the answer. It seemed worthwhile to make clear that nothing could be hidden from us. He was discomfited by this question, as expected, but dutifully continued nonetheless.
0: His involvement has become necessary, yes. But it seems that the flows of energy will be propitious, and therefore the actual procedure will take a minimum of your time.
1: That is well. We shall continue here until you need us. You have adjusted our schedule to accommodate both our work and your request?
0: I have. Everything you have ordered will be accomplished.
1: Yes, it will.
0: You have been listening to Legacy Door, Episode 1.3, Needs. Jamie Gosling was the primary narrator and us. Jamie Wren was Dan Lutcher. Michelle Limon made her triumphant return, this time as Joyce Vera. Song Marshal was Gina Lutcher. Some of you may have missed the brash tones of Justin Brandt, attorney at law, this week, so you may be happy to hear that next week's episode, Encounters, is all Justin. He'll talk at length with someone we've only heard from momentarily thus far, and will meet someone we've only heard about, played by another familiar immunity's voice. The opening music was Ethereal Thoughts by Victor Wayne. The closing music is Adventure, also by Wayne. You can hear works by him at Toontank.com. The Legacy Door cover photograph is by Roxana and Nash. This week's cover image is Old Wounds, New Days by Kevin Raleigh, a.k.a. Cavissimo. You can find images by him at DeviantArt and Cavissimo.com. If you'd like to comment about the series, express your interest, or just see what's going on, Check us out at Legacy Door Novel on Twitter or Facebook. Given how the world of social media is in disarray at the moment, we're also looking into other options. I'm updating the Hamlet series Instagram more frequently, and I was thinking about starting a Discord server, which could have the advantage of separate discussion channels for those who do, or do not, already know this entire story. If you think this is a good idea, contact us through any of our socials, or... Legacy Door novel at gmail.com For an invitation We'd also like to hear if anyone thinks Alternatives like Mastodon, Blue Sky Or Threads would be particularly good for us For now This podcast is an abridged version of the novel Legacy Door Available in Kindle or paperback from Amazon And as an audiobook from many retailers It was made possible by Dueling Genre Productions Legacy Door is copyright 2021 By Bob J. Kester All rights reserved This is Bob J. Kester. Goodbye. Dueling Genre